This is the Teachable Soul Podcast. Because we cannot possibly live long enough to make all the mistakes ourselves, let's take a few moments to learn from the mistakes of others. The Teachable Soul Podcast, where guests and listeners like you share stories of failure and teachable moments on the journey to success. Here's your host, Kat Daniels. Welcome to the Teachable Soul Podcast. I am your host, Kat Daniels. And today with me, I have Robert Kennedy III, who wants to live in a world where people are no longer afraid to confidently tell their stories. And they can also eat Reese's peanut butter cups for every meal without any repercussions. But some dreams are more realistic than others. His work as a keynote speaker and trainer has led him to work with organizations such as the U.S. Coast Guard, Barnes & Noble, Panda Restaurant Group, Pennsylvania Parks and Recreation, Comscore, as well as appearances on local networks like Fox 45 and CW24. As a former classroom teacher, he helped students make sense of their world through physics and biology. It was during these classroom years that he began his first business, an online music promotion portal, where he interviewed and promoted musicians, producers, and other music industry professionals. The site ultimately became number third ranked site in the U.S. for its genre. He is involved in his community, and when he's not speaking, training, or helping people online with their personal storytelling, you can find him toting his kids to basketball games, cheerleading, being drafted as an impromptu ref or coach, or simply yelling loudly in, in the stands, because every parent is really a coach in the stands. Welcome, Robert, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you wanted to kind of discuss a little bit about your career journey, which it sounds like you've had quite the journey there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? If I think about it, it seems like uh, a lot of different things or a lot of different stops or places, but it doesn't feel like that. It just, you know how life is. It kind of feels like this one path that's, that you've just been on for, for, a, lot, for a while. Right, so. right. So how did you, so physics and biology is quite different and teaching even is quite different than some of the other things that you've done. So how yeah. did you originally get started in teaching and specifically with like science? Well, so as a, as a kid, I, one of the stories that I tell uh, as a part of my signature story when I, when I speak is that journey from high school when I took a career inventory exam and the career inventory exam said that there were two career paths that would work really well for me. One of them was communication, something in communications, and the other was electrical engineering. So, of course, I went to college and I did biology, right? Right, of course, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, this, this was back in the day when, you know, I, I don't know what your background in, but is, but it, in my background, there are some career choices that really seem to make sense for, for family. Or when you say to your parents, hey, I want to do this, they, they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I can tell my friends about that. Right. And so becoming a doctor at the time was something that seemed cool. So I said, okay, let me go to college and do biology. By the time I hit my second semester of my freshman year, I said, yeah, this doctor thing, ah, not so much, but I didn't want to quit. And so I just kept, kept on with the biology degree. I totally flunked organic chem my sophomore year. It was terrible. (laughs) <laughs> and then uh, my junior year, I picked up a the history major. So I, I ultimately graduated with a dual major in biology and history. But what do you do with biology and history when you graduate in the 90s, right? Right. And so, of course, 
teaching was one of the natural progressions. And so using my degree, I ended up teaching biology, physical science, physics. Hmm. So did you, do you still do that or no? No, not even close. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I taught, I was in the classroom, the science classroom for eight years in the high school. Mm-hmm. And I was a biology faculty for two years online. That all ended in 2009. I was moving from the state of Massachusetts to Maryland, and I was working with this online university. And about 10 days after we moved here, I got let go. And so I had taken my family across state lines, 200 miles plus, Mm -hmm. seven, eight hour, actually, no, about 400 miles. I'm so sorry. Yeah, more (laughs) than 400 miles. And you know, thinking that we were going to be settled in a certain way. And then 10 days later, here comes this, this big catastrophe that happens. And so, you know, I do the regular things that people do when they lose jobs. I send out resumes, et cetera, et cetera, and nothing's happening. I'm not getting any responses. I'm not getting any, any interviews, nothing. So I ultimately decide that I want to, I I had been studying instructional design or doing some different things at the time. And so I ultimately just took some contracts developing online courses for organizations. And as I did that, that developed into more work. I started a company doing that. And then ultimately that ended up in me training organizations on how to develop online courses that morphed into communication and leadership training. And that's pretty much where where I am right now. I do a lot of training on leadership and communication, and I'm a public speaker in the same area. So I have so many questions. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you kind of fell into it on accident, it seems like. Is that right? Well, it, it, yeah. So it's, it's kind of on accident to some degree, but if you remember the, the story I just mentioned about the career inventory exam, you know, yeah. It seems like doing something in communication was always the path that I was meant to be on. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. uh, if, if I go further back in that story, uh, when I was about two years old, I lived in, I was actually born in the island of Jamaica. And I was, we had people in our house, you know, they, they were kind of nannies, but we call them helpers, like teenagers that, that kind of helped around the house, et cetera, et cetera. And I was told at that time by quite a few, Robert, you talk too much. You talk too much. You ask too many questions. You talk too much. You talk too much. And so I, I shut down. I stopped. And for most of my childhood, my child life, I was known to be a, a, a shy, withdrawn by myself person. Didn't talk too much to many people unless I really was close to you or knew you. Could get mm. silly sometimes. But for the most part, I stayed in my room and played with my trains. Mm. <laughs> so, right? So that, that was, you know, as far back as then, there was something communication related that made a difference or, or made an impact in my life. I gotcha. Yeah. My um, son was the same way when he was younger. He would talk constantly nonstop. Yeah. He would listen. And now he's very quiet and reserved like that because I remember, I specifically remember him asking me one day if I thought he talked too much. And I no, why did someone tell you that? And he was like, no, I don't know. And I was like, well, why would you, why would you think that? And he's like, I don't know. And now he's like quiet and reserved. And I'm like, but you're so smart and cool. And like, 
please don't do that. <laughs> and so I'm trying to pull him out of his shell a little bit more, but um, he's 13 yeah. and in middle school, you know, and I think we all definitely go through those, you know, um, insecurities and, and finding ourselves and things like that. So, wow. yeah. Yeah. But I'm here for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really. That's do. all you can do. <laughs> yeah. That's all you can do as a so, parent um, to guide him. Right. So why did you, why did you get let go? Because like, not only did you move your family across all these miles, but like they, they had to pay for you to go there or they had to say, Hey, why don't you move here or offer you a job or do something? Right. Well, so I I was, it was an online university. So my moving had really nothing to do with the university. So yeah, I, I moved, I had this online gig. I was in Massachusetts and I was looking to move anyway. We were, we were just kind of at the place where our, we felt like our time had expired in Massachusetts. I'd liked Maryland since I was a little kid. It was close enough to my wife's family or she's from New Jersey. And Mm -hmm. so it just seemed like a great place. Um, you know, I guess there are a lot of reasons surrounding the, the let go, but we sensed that it was going to happen at some point because of some changes that were being made in the university. We just didn't know when. Right. So, you know, I, the, the instructional design stuff, I had actually been looking into that about six or seven months before I got let go. Mm. And so once I got let go, it, you know, kind of freed me up to dive in a little bit more and learn some additional things, which was really what enabled me to start getting some contracts under my belt a couple of months later. Yeah. Gotcha. So, and you mentioned that before, whenever you were, you were in college and going through all that, you didn't really want to quit at that time. And I can totally relate. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, quit my job to do this podcast. Um, and I didn't want to quit because I, you know, have a a pretty bad relationship basically with, you know, feeling like I'm a quitter or something like that. And I can, I think a lot of people feel that, but what saved me was a lady actually said to me, quitters win and winners quit. Mm, Like, right. Like, well, and, and I don't know, I guess it sparked something, but it just got me thinking. And I'm like, well, I mean, you're actually not wrong because people who win sometimes know when to quit and that it's okay to quit. Right. So yeah. you also mentioned your parents were uh-huh. they <laughs> were they a determining factor originally whenever you were like, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. Well, you know, my parents didn't um, directly say, oh, you should do this or these are the only acceptable things for you to do. Right. I think sometimes you are you feel certain pressures based on society or based on implicit family culture right you know in certain cultures there you you hear how families talk and when they talk about the doctors when they talk about the 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 nurses when they talk about maybe the teachers in the family there's a certain esteem that they talk about them with so mm-hmm. when you're a kid Nobody says to you, hey, if you do something else, you're going to be scorned. But you kind of implicitly get it. Hey, if I want to be thought of as important, if I want to be affirmed, if I want to make a certain amount of money, this is what I've got to do. Otherwise, everything else is 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 not worth talking about or, or it may not make my family proud. Right. And so as a kid, you you fight through some of those things. There, there are cultural norms or there 
implied cultural pressures that we add to our our children and our families sometimes and you know not you don't you don't do it purposely as parents and sometimes you don't know that you're doing it until sometimes 20 30 years later when a child yeah. then says oh my gosh this was how i felt right so yeah. so yeah i mean my parents and i have had we've had some of those discussions and and i know now that some of the things that they think now if if they had been hip or woke or whatever word you want to use they would have not they wouldn't have they would have had certain discussions with me earlier yeah so well but i mean back then that was definitely more of a time of doing what society deems necessary and things like that i mean i grew up the same way basically where my you know especially my dad um, thought that I should do certain things mostly because society said that we should do them. Yep. Um, and I think it's just now even shifting to a point where people are starting to realize a little bit earlier, um, in their life that that's not necessarily all the way, like that's not the only way to live, honestly. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can, if you want, and that makes you happy, but it's, it's mostly about fulfillment. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I think as you're alluding to, most of us grew up, especially if, you know, you're a child of the eighties, you grew up thinking that, Hey, you, you go to school, you go to college, you get, get a job, you get married, you have kids, you maybe you get a house that's decent and you yeah. do that forever. Right. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and that's it. Maybe you get yeah. to go to a baseball game or play golf or something in on a few few weekends or whatever. But that thing that you do, that thing that you choose, that's what you do forever. And if 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 you're unhappy with it, then oh well, it sucks to be you. If you're if you're good at it and if it's something that's great, then you have a great life. So you it's like a crapshoot. You're just kind of throwing these dice and <laughs> see yeah. what comes up. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But now you grow up and you find out, wait a minute. That's not the full story. That's mm-hmm. not truth. I, I, there's a lot, there are a lot of options mm-hmm. in this world. There are a lot of ways that I can make impact. Matter of fact, there's certain gifts and talents and skills that I already have that innately come easier to me. Yep. That if I look back, there's a common thread or a common core running through my life that if I'd have followed that path, that mm-hmm. if I if, if I had paid attention to that, mm-hmm. that is something that is like I call these divine clues about your purpose and where you should be. Yeah. You know, so. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, a very good point. I have. Um, I did not fall into this. I, I basically had like a breakdown and decided to do something completely different because I had gone through the blueprint of life that society mm. laid out for me, you know, and then come on the other side of it and realize that, um, I, I wasn't happy doing what I was told to do basically. Right. <laughs> um, and so I, I wanted to do something else and, you know, um, that's, I'm just figuring that out for myself. So, mm. but I'm m- far more happy and fulfilled now doing what I'm doing than I ever ever thought about being before. Right. Yeah. So you speak on the regular, but you also teach organizations. Is that right? Yeah. So I, when I say teach organizations, I I use the word teach loosely Mm. (laughs) (laughs) is really, it's, it's more training workshops, two hour, four hour full day workshops that I do on the topics of communication, leadership, presentation, how to tell your story, how to influence your, your audience. 
Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, I have a friend who was a teacher um, in middle school for middle schoolers or close to that age range. And mm-hmm. she wants to do, you know, kind of that same thing and, and start teaching adults, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were teaching in high school, did you, I know that you mentioned that you were also kind of doing the online school or working with the online school at the time. Did you just like transition or like what, how did you get out of teaching high school and go into that? So no, I wasn't teaching high school at the same time. I was doing the online school that started after I actually was in, when I was teaching high school, I started another business at the same time or shortly after, uh, in about 2002, that was the online business where we did the music promotion mm-hmm. and interviews, et cetera. So even then, I mean, I was teaching, but my business, my, my very first business was me interviewing people. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, talking prior to that, uh, before I became a teacher, I was doing, I was working in the mental health field for a couple of years and every day I would drive from my apartment to work and I would pass this radio station. And one day I ended up going inside the radio station, talking to the owner and he ended up giving me an internship as news anchor for the station. And, you know, ultimately I got offered the full-time news anchor position. And because I was nervous, scared, didn't know what I needed to do with it in in my life, I I, I turned it down. Right. So Every which way I turn, there has been this thing, communication, speaking, communication, speaking, storytelling, training, communication, something where I can pour out and help others and talk to people, right? right? That, that's been the, the, the running thread throughout my life. And so, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And yeah, I love that you were doing that for the music industry too. My brother is a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of in the indie genre um, right now, but he also does, it's mostly because he does country music, but it's more, um, it's closer to how country music used to be done. (laughs) Right. Um, Back in like, you know, the 60s and 70s and 80s and things like that. And it's definitely storytelling um, that he does with his music. So awesome. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Do you still have that site? I do not. I do not. I ran it for eight years, just about. And what we were, it was actually in the gospel music industry. And we were the number three ranked site, the three number three most visited site in, in the U S for quite a few years. We had, we were one of the first sites to add an internet radio station to our site. And so that was a really big source of traffic for us. And it really just helped put us on the map in some ways. It allowed me to form a lot of great relationships in the music industry, artists, record companies, A&R representatives, PR companies, you know, so a, a lot of relationships that I still have today and still leverage in some ways. Right, right. Yeah, that's fantastic. So what were some of the teachable moments along the way that if like you knew someone who was kind of going through figuring out what they wanted to do with with their life that you would be able to give them? Wow, that's a really big question. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the teachable moments, I'm in my mid 40s, so I've had quite a few teachable moments in, in my life. Tell me about I think, all of them. Oh yeah, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so I really think that 
listening to your heart is is important. You know, it's there are a lot of times where you're starting to do something and sometimes you're not even sure if that's the way to go or you're not even sure if you weren't doing this thing where you would go or what you would do. You know, because if I said to my parents, you know, I don't want to do biology. I didn't really know what the next step was going to be. I didn't really yeah. know. So in some ways, when I talk about, oh, I didn't want to quit, it's, it's some of it might have been not even that I didn't want to quit. It might have been like, oh, geez, if I quit this, what's next? I don't right. even know what to do. However, there were, there were clues all along. And, yeah. you know, my heart always said something. I ended up at the radio station because of my heart. There was no reason for me to stop there. There was, no, <laughs> there was nobody that called me. I didn't know anybody there. But there was something that kept calling me. Yeah. Stop there. And so it ended up, I don't, you know, I don't know what would have happened if I, if I'd have taken the news anchor job, you know, maybe my life would have been at a different path, but, but I can't change that. I, I didn't. No. But what ended up happening is that no matter which way I went, I was still steer, steered, steered back to something in the area of communication where I could teach people about storytelling. And so yes. You know, the, your heart tells you that. Your heart tells you that, and so, you know, it, it's there, and you've got to be able to find mentorship. That's another teachable thing that I would share with people: find mentorship as early as you can, because, you know, if there's somebody that connects with me now, I'm able to tell them, you know, 25 years of stories. Right. You know, I'm a, I'm able to tell them 25 years of mistakes. I'm able mm-hmm. to tell them 25 years of figuring it out. Yeah. Right. So if you can connect with somebody, if you are like, you know, 16, 17, 18, 20, connect Mm -hmm. with somebody. My dad, definitely one of the great things that my dad did was tell me about looking to find a mentor. And, you know, Mm -hmm. he sought to help me find mentors when I was young. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to access them. I was not a big talker. I didn't know what to, to ask them about. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's not knowing about what to ask them about. It's simply asking them about what they did. Right. You know, what did you do to end up where you are? What were some of the things that you were scared of? What were some of the mm-hmm. things that, that, you know, you wished you had to do over for? Or what was the biggest difference maker for you? Mm-hmm. You know, so finding someone who is willing to invest in you and, and maybe spend time. And if you can't find someone then getting into books, reading, getting, finding books and autobiographies of successful people and, and, and diving into that and investing in yourself. That's the big thing. Right. Yeah. I, um, I started just this week reading the four hour work week by, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think his name is Timothy Ferris or Tim, Tim- Ferris. Yep. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that he says in there is to email three people um, I mean, he he goes through an actual story of where he was teaching the class and this is what he did. But I think that in speaking of mentorship, I think that learning or figuring out a way to contact someone is probably like one of the first biggest steps that you can do. Right. So one of the things that he did was he had his students email three um, people who seemed untouchable, who seemed inaccessible right. um, and just email them and ask them questions, in-depth questions about Um, you know, just something that requires a response or that they could respond to. Don't, you know, go through their work, look at what they do, and then email them and ask them a question. Just 
whatever you can come up with that you would like an answer to. Right. The, the point is not to necessarily get them to answer. It's just to get them to open up a dialogue with you and to it. Hopefully the hope there is to, you know, continue the dialogue. And I think that's how mentorship should happen. Um, like that, you know, there are mentors who charge, um, and coaches, you know, who charge for things like that. And that's, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, just conversations and opening a dialogue is so important. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, one of the things that my mom said to me, when I was younger and I didn't really understand it when mm. she said, no man is an Island, no man stands alone. And, and so she was actually saying it because she was singing a song, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. and I didn't understand it and didn't understand the depth of it. And the truth is most of us try to do life by ourselves. We mm. have in the United States or maybe in Western society, a culture which touts independence. And we think independence is doing it on your own. And the reality oh. is, no one does it alone. No successful person does it alone. It's the people that do it alone that are struggling because Mm -hmm. you are scared and you don't know how to, you don't think you should reach out for help because we make it seem like reaching out for help indicates you're weak or you're a failure. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. Yeah. That's the furthest thing from the truth. So get help, get mentorship, uh, stand on the shoulders of those who were before you and, Mm -hmm. And, you know, don't, don't try to build a cathedral when one was already built. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. No, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm, I'm all about, especially with like raising kids and stuff like that. I'm like, it, it takes a village um, and you have to create a village around you sometimes in order to have that village. But, you know, you, you definitely should not and could not do it alone. Um, And yeah, you're, you're exactly right in Western society. I think we definitely you know, expect people to be on their own and stand on their own and nobody really can, but. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was teaching, one of the lessons that I learned was I was teaching in the state of Massachusetts in a town called Fitchburg. And some of the, some of my students were Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I, I recognized was that when a lot of Vietnamese families came to the United States, what they did was They put all their money together and they purchased a house and Mm -hmm. all of them would live in the house. Yeah. And then what they would do is when it was time for the next person to get a house or to get a car or whatever, everybody would pool money and get that person a car. And when that person was cool, then the next person that needed a car, everybody would pool their money and get that person a car. Right. Then, you know, they, they would do that and keep doing that until you know, people were self-sustainable, but they all still remained in the same area or the same community. And I just wondered, my goodness, why don't more of us do that? You know, we we leave our parents and the the idea is in, again, Western society that we leave our house, we leave our parents' house. And I'm not saying that kids, I'm not encouraging people to live in their parents' basement, by the way. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, but but the idea is I got to go out and get mine. Mm-hmm. Got to go out oh, and man. do it on my own and, and get, and get my house, get my apartment, get my town home, get my condo. And if I don't reach those standards by the time I'm 26 or 28 years old, then, oh my gosh, you failed. Yeah. I know. You know? I think and that's that not true. Starts, no, not at all. I think that starts even 
somehow in the house, like when, when kids are, are little, little, because like there are some cultures where everybody in the house, it doesn't matter if you're an aunt, uncle, brother, sister, mom, dad, you sleep in the same room as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they do that culturally, not because they don't even have rooms sometimes. It's just because that's, that's how they are. Right. And, you know, we are so quick in, especially in the U S and like Canada and places like that to be like, no, you need to have your baby sleep in their own bed in their own room. And you just need to let them cry it out and, you know, yada, yada. And I, it, it, I think maybe that's where it starts. Like that's where we're like, we're on our own in this world, you know? And yeah. And it's just us and nobody else is going to help us. And I think Hmm. it definitely work to change that somehow. Wow. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that one either, but that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, I think about it. It drives me crazy that people are doing, or people do that with their kids, which is fine. I mean, I'm all about, you know, don't, don't, don't sleep in the same bed and, and potentially, you know, cause risk to your child, obviously, but in the same room would probably be okay. Don't you think? (laughs) So that they know that you're there for them and that they feel safe. And, you know, I think when you're a kid, especially it's about feeling safe and, and loved and surrounded, you know? Yeah. And when you grow everybody up to just be by themselves and on their own, that's pretty much how they're going to wind up. Hmm. So, yeah. But anyways, I'll get off my soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) So you went on, you've worked with the Coast Guard and Barnes and Noble, and you've, you've gotten all those contracts. Was that through the previous work that you were doing that you were able to, because you said that while you were, while you were um, in the transition process, basically, you knew it was coming. You knew you were going to get let go eventually. Mm-hmm. You just didn't know when you were working on those things. How did you start that? Well, so some of it was... I don't want to say luck, but I guess uh, it sounds like luck, but I forget who says it, that it's when, you, when you're prepared and you're continually in the place where opportunity um, presents itself, it seems like luck to everybody else, right? Um, and so it was really just doing some of the work, diving into online forums, getting connected with people on LinkedIn. You, utilizing social media, having conversations and doing good work in a lot of cases so that when people reached out that they could, you could have a portfolio or you could say, hey, here's what I've done or here's how I've helped other organizations do this. Mm-hmm. So some of that was just reaching out. Um, there, you know, there are a couple of cases. The Coast Guard really was just me putting myself on a site for speakers and somebody from the Coast Guard reached out and said, hey, can you come in and do a session with us? So that seemed like luck. I didn't do anything. I just put myself on a site for speakers and they called me. Uh, <laughs> but they still had to do the vetting. I mean, you're talking about I'm coming on this podcast and you're trying to Google me and you're doing mm-hmm. work in the background. Organizations are doing that these days. Yeah. So if I didn't have anything online, if I didn't have background work, if I didn't have something where they could see, okay, yep, this person's legit. They've done mm-hmm. some stuff. They kind of have some idea about what they're talking about. Then that would have been a flop. So even though it seems like one simple action acquired a big result, it's really 
the accumulation of actions. So a lot of small things that lead to, you know, what seems to be a big deal to other mm-hmm. people. And I mean, you know, if I speak about other clients, there are other places, people that, that I've spoken for, I don't have like AARP on there. I did a workshop for them last year. I was a keynote speaker for the National Labor Relations Board last year, the Maryland Workforce Association last year, uh, Prince George's Par- County Parks and Recreation last year. You know, so there, there are quite a few other organizations, State Farm, you know, so there, there are quite a few things that are the result of just work that's been done over time. Right. Yeah. So did you start out doing it doing things like that for free or did you immediately like you were just kind of searching around and trying stuff? Cause I, I know I have started out doing things and I have to originally start out doing them for free so I can get the experience in general. Well, I don't want to say I started out for free. I think it was a mixture of the, uh, of everything. I, I probably started out at a lower cost point mm-hmm. than maybe who people who are professional trainers and speakers mm-hmm. today but it it wasn't for free. I I would say my first online course development gig was for someone who worked for a university and it was, it it wasn't an expensive gig, but you know, I didn't have a job at the time. So I I took, I took what I could and doing good work there led to more work. And then they, they told other people about me and those, those, relationships and those referrals started to lead to other things. And so as I did that and ultimately hired a business coach and started to to grow my own mindset as I grew my business, then the, 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 the price point changed and it went up. And, um, you know, there's still some things, some levels that I want to get to. Right. I'm not there yet, but I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in route. I'm in the process. Yeah. Yeah, and it's definitely a process. So does your does your was your wife helping you? Were were her parents helping you? Did you have a community during the time? I mean, other than people that you were working with that was helping you to to be able to do all these things? Well, you know what? I I my wife had her own she has she my wife works and so she she had her own thing that she was doing. I wish I would have utilized community even better back then because I would have definitely had more acceleration. I was definitely doing a lot of stuff on my own. I was hustling. I was searching online forums. I was starting to form relationships. I was going to networking events. I was doing all of that. I was hosting a few events of my own, doing all of that on my own. And I should have been doing it with a team. I should have been recruiting help. And I didn't do that enough, partly partly because I was not patient enough in some cases. And I also was not uh, organized enough to be able to tell people what I wanted. Yeah. So it, 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 it was scary. It's kind of one of those things where if you feel like you're having trouble, sh- trouble explaining something to people, then you're like, well, I'll just do it myself. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, I, you know, hindsight, I, I wish I would have found out or grew myself and invested myself in the process of learning how to delegate better earlier, mm-hmm. you know, but, but I didn't, but here we are and yeah. business is growing. It's good. I can't, I can't complain. And, and my wife does do some things in my business sometimes, but mm-hmm. you know, she, she doesn't want to be 
all around me all the time. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't know a couple that could work together and live together all of the time and just be together all of the time. Like eventually there's some, I I know a couple, (laughs) I know a few of them and and there's some that do it. And, you know, I think the difference is if if we talk about personalities, my wife is a flaming extrovert. (laughs) Flaming. And I'm the total opposite. Although I'm a speaker, although yeah. I've been out front my entire life, my dad's a pastor. My dad's uh-huh. a minute. I'm a PK. I've yeah. been on stage. I've been in front of the world my entire life. Yeah. yeah. Right. And right. so people say, oh my gosh, you must be an extrovert. I'm like, yeah. But when I've peopled for quite a bit of time, mm. I totally am drained and I need oh, yeah. to go recharge. Oh, I need yeah. to go recharge. And so, you know, that that's, that's the difference between us. You know, she's rah, rah, rah. She wants to, she wants to shut down six flags. She wants to stay till, 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 till the last firework has gone off. And, yeah. and they're like, okay, ma'am, it's time. We've got to lock the gate now. Right. She, <laughs> she, like, she wants to stay. Um, but, it's like three o'clock. I'm like, babe, we've been here two hours. Can we go? Right. Um, there's a lot of people. I want, yeah. I want to go to the car. Right. <laughs> so, Oh man, you just described me and my husband. Yes. <laughs> I am also a flaming extrovert and he is a total introvert. And yeah, <laughs> I have to drag him out of the house to go do things. Yeah. You need some vitamin D at least. Come. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. That's funny. That's cute. <laughs> so, and yeah, that's, and you mentioned using online forums. That's, you know, in, in, helping people. I'm, I'm getting people to help me from using social media and online forums as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm utilizing community in that way. We're um, on top of that, we're my husband's in the military. Um, and so I know many other military spouses um, and am very thankful for the military community in general, because we're also very um, open to, you know, new people. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas there are some communities where I have found they are definitely not open to new people. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but that's, you know, using community and, and mentors and just friends in general, you know, can super be helpful to get you on the path that you need to be on too. Awesome. Yeah. So would you like to place your events or your social media or a website if anybody wants to hire you to come and speak for them or if they'd like to hire you as a trainer? Yeah. So my website, my main website is robertkennedy3.com and you'll find information there. Feel free to touch bases with me there. I'm also on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as robertkennedy3. That's the number three. And yeah, I'm really easy to reach out to. I'm really easy to find. And that would be great. I would love to come in and share with organizations on how you can have conversations or how you can deliver critical messages with confidence. Mm, Perfect. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for meeting with me and I hope that you have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Thank you all for continuing to listen and for your patience with me in this whole learning process. I really appreciate that anybody at all listens. I genuinely do. And I thank you guys so much. You guys can always find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter now, um, and LinkedIn at The Teachable Soul or The Teachable Soul on Twitter. And if you would like to help support the show, you can find me at patreon.com slash the teachable soul. I'll be trying to create some extra content there for you guys if you subscribe and kind of interact with you. One of the 
things that I like least about podcasts is that I can't interact or ask questions to any of my listeners, but through Patreon, hopefully I'll be able to do that. So thank you again for listening. 